and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, it's an epic. We're talking about Ben Hur from 1959, not 1925, not 2016, 1959. You'll know it because of Charlton Heston. Before we get started, how was your week? My week was actually lovely. Um, and uh, part of it was that. We watched this movie, and I hadn't seen it for a very long time. So it was watching it with you and mostly with our other roommate and getting a sense of watching it. First, one thing, watching it presented in a proper frame aspect. Like big. Yes, but it was also widescreen. Right. It was... It was uh, That's what I mean. Not, right. not squared for television or right. whatever. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly it was almost overwhelming, the amount of stuff in this film. Yeah. So I felt like I was really watching it uh, really for the, almost like for the first time. This was amazing. So yeah. I enjoyed that. We, it spread over a couple of days. Um, so it was an assignment. Yeah, we watched it in three parts. It was a short part, a short part, and a long part. Right. <laughs> How was your week? It was good. Mm-hmm. We watched this. We watched our next movie too. We're right. getting that. We're going to be done with February before we even get into February at this rate. Yeah, uh, and then we have to change gears completely and do just like modern science, well, fairly modern science fiction. After the um, Dial-In for Murder's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's very different. Each thing is very different this mm-hmm. year, this month. Like, like, we had so much boxing all at once. And right. now this month is very, each thing is different. It's like... Nazis, Nazis, <laughs> these aren't Nazis, but they are anti-Jewish, so... There's a fun. lot of anti-Semitism on this list. Yes, well, in the world these days, turns out... Right. You want to get started talking about this so that we can stop sometime before midnight? Yes, yes. <laughs> so you're going to lead us through, and this movie is very much like vignette. Right. Vignette, vignette, it's vignette, intermission, vignette, vignette. <laughs> and the novel itself is a doorstop of a historic novel, something that isn't done much nowadays. We have very long historical biographies, but a historical fiction like this is something that was very popular 100 years ago, 50 years ago, but much less now. All right. First up. Jesus is born. Right. And so it's Ben-Hur. It's a tale of the Christ, which, so the more warning is marked clearly on the label. Wait, what? It's Ben-Hur, the book, is called A Tale of the Christ. Oh, but it's not marked clearly on this label because nowhere on the... But at this point, the book itself had been popular for such a long time. That's fine. But I know, I'm but telling what I'm you, saying coming is that, in, I right, didn't know, and you nowhere didn't. in it's, like, uh, it's not on the poster. Also, so, I don't think that this opening scene is necessary in any way, shape, or form. But go ahead. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. But we'll explain that later. We open with the nativity. Um, and in this version of the story, unlike the historical story, the wise men show up at the same time as the shepherds on Christmas night. Yeah, which is not what no, happened. Not what <laughs> But one of the wise men will recognize from his very, it's Friendly Curry, who is an actor who anybody who grew up in the particular generation recognizes him because he had this very 
he has a very um, interesting profile, I think, and is very kind of ecclesiastical voice. Uh, George MacDonald Fraser, who's someone who's a historian who does books, who writes fiction, the Flashman novels. Uh, he mentioned Finley Curry as the actor who he'd always want to put into his mouth if he could. And finally, Brothers, you know, because he has that kind of voice. And he's narrating the story in the very beginning. And we don't really come back to his narration. Well, except there isn't really any narration that sticks with you. Honestly, okay, y'all, this movie is 212 minutes, excluding the 10-minute overture, Mm -hmm. five-minute intermission, and however long the final music piece is. The overture and the intermission, at least, were fully intact in this in this right. version of it. The T- TCM had aired it at four hours and four minutes long. No, no commercials. You do not need to start in Bethlehem with the birth of Jesus. You do not need to. You don't. You don't. <laughs> I think that we learn later on what this character that we see uh, becomes a character later on Sure. And this scene becomes part of his personal uh, story arc. Yeah, but here's the thing. Everyone knows who Jesus is. When we see him later in the film, and we do from the back, from far away, Mm -hmm. um, there is no ever, ever, never any doubt from the film going audience, even me, unchurched as I may be, who this is. We know it is now. Well, you tell me that the story starts in 26 AD, mm-hmm. which isn't a real time because it, at the time they didn't, <laughs> they didn't have that time. Now, yes. <laughs> I really think that they should always tell you what the time was to the people who are living it, but it's fine. It's 26 AD, which is when we sort of fast forward to, which is 26 years in the future. Um, and then when the wise man that comes back comes mm-hmm. back, he tells the story. Uh, like we just we don't need it. We don't need it. I do not think we need it. I think we do because it sets up a later scene. But we'll discuss that when we come to it. We can agree to disagree. So we then go into the future, slightly. Twenty six A.D. Twenty six A.D. Judah Ben Hur. He's a, a wealthy Jewish prince. He lives with his sister. He's played by Charlton Heston. He's mm-hmm. supposed to be twenty six. Nope. <laughs> But go ahead. <laughs> he lives with his sister and his mother. Uh, his sister, Tirza, his mother is... Natalie uh, or something like that? Miriam. Miriam. Natalie. I like that. Natalie. I thought it started with an N and the only N I could think of. Um, so, yeah. they, live, they live in relative wealth. Remember, at this time... Relative wealth? They live in a fucking mansion. They, <laughs> they live, live in a mansion. Okay. <laughs> at this time, Israel is an occupied country, occupied by the Romans, as the Romans have occupied much of the world. And we get an early scene where Masala, who used to be Ben-Hur's friend as a boy, they were childhood friends, and uh, they were inseparable. They were hunting jackals together. They were... You know what would have been a better first scene? The two of them as children. That would have been a better first scene. And a longer movie, but... No! You could have so that that first scene with G- the the birth of Jesus is like five minutes long. Okay, you could make it the kids uh, just in the movie that we're watching. Anyhow, <laughs> the point is that uh, he's now returning to he's been assigned to return to Jerusalem. He's going to, or rather, to Judea. He's going to go there. He 
asked for this assignment, this outpost, this post, because he wants to bring the unruly Jewish factions there under his control. Well, he thinks that because uh, Judea is, yes, feisty and right. doesn't like to be colonized. What a concept. Oh, imagine And so that. he's like, I know the people. I can get them to calm down. And he thinks this will bring him to the attention of Rome. It's important to know what I like about this film is that everybody's motivation is very clear. Yeah. Masala um, licks the boots of Rome. He really, he's a, he's one of the people like Olivier and Spartacus. In, right, exactly. Who believes that Rome is the end-all, be-all savior of whatever, whatever, whoever. And he even says as much as. And uh, Judah, Ben-Hur, the titular, <laughs> who just, which just means son of her, um, is a Jewish man who does not love that his uh, land is colonized. Right, exactly. He, <laughs> he has a friendship with Masala, and when they meet, they they share stories, they go back and forth, and they seem very, very tight. But also so macho. They, they, get, uh, they get their groove back by throwing spears. <laughs> right, at what, and it becomes symbolic later on, at what it turns out to be a, a crossbeam. Yeah. Which was deliberate, and there's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie. Uh, so we go from there to their conversation, and there's a little bit of Judah seems to be uncomfortable with Masala's insistence that Rome is now the center of the world, and that all of you should capitulate. And he not says, just that, but like you scratch my back and I scratch right, yours. There's, but, a, there's that intonation in the in their first conversation. He doesn't get explicit with it. But he is like, I know, we're, we're friends, and you're going to do for me like I've always done for you. Okay, bye. And Judah is like, ooh, And there's no? also, <laughs> I think, a really interesting dynamic where there's what we would now interpret as microaggressions going on. Oh, yeah, 100%. Judah serves him wine, and he says, oh, this is... How quaint. It's how, that kind of thing. Right, and he goes, Look oh, at you're this very cruel cool to your got. captors, or your conquerors, and there's a look on Heston's face where it's, yeah, like, like you are a conqueror, right? Like, what do you what do you mean? What is that supposed to mean? So, and tears has a little baby crush on Masala. It's not really. It doesn't develop into. It's anything. not developed in any way. He does just say no, 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 kibosh on that. So Masala is now the commander of the fortress of Antonia. He's returning to visit, or Ben Hur is so eager to see him that he comes, or Ben or Judah rather, Ben. You can call Judah him Ben-Hur. Let's call him Ben-Hur. Let's rely on Ben-Hur. It's, t- it's the title of the movie. It's okay. the easiest way to call him. Or Heston. Right. You can call him Charlton, he's, which is a ridiculous name. <gasps> he's so anxious to see him that he actually goes to visit him in his official position to uh, at the, uh, the uh, fortress where he first arrives. Um, and there's an interesting exchange between Masala and one of his underlings where he says, well, there's a Jew here to see you. He says he's a prince. And he's like, well, then treat him like one. Yeah. And so you think he's going to be decent. Right. But, well, this is after Esther comes back. The, no, I mean, that's... That, that's Masala comes and visits him at the at his house first. No, the very he? first scene there is when they throw the spears. Yeah, at his house. No, this is at... That's not at the, his house. That's at the Masala's... Uh, at the fortress? At the fortress. Oh, I really thought that that was. And then they. Cut they really from there. didn't do a nice job of delineating those two right. massive houses that look. Well, the same. here's the difference. The Roman. Here's how you can tell. The Roman fortress is 
almost exclusively under like underground. You can't see any sunlight. And the Ben Hur's house is has a huge courtyard and it's two yeah, stories. Yeah, I remember them walking through it. So right. it's fine. You don't have to. Here's the thing. I really enjoyed this movie. I'm never watching it again. Mm. It's so long. <laughs> like, there's no way. Anyway. I think if you did it now, it would be make more sense to do it as like a miniseries for television or something. Yes, sure. It would totally work that way. Yeah, but... it needs... It, well, because it is, like I say, it's like... I, like, And we've got to start moving because mm-hmm. right. it, it is really seven things that we need to talk about. Right, exactly. That's so, basically it. <laughs> so... Masala tries to convince Judah to turn on his own people. Judah is he's 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 acquiesced on this level. He says, um, I'll go and talk to these Jewish leaders who are opposing Rome, who are fighting it, and I can talk to them and try to start a conversation. Masala's like, but who are their names? What are their names? Can you no, tell me? yeah, you're 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 combining a bunch of stuff that happens over time, but that's fine because there's a there's a combina- there's a there's an opening conversation that's like, hey, have these people ease up? Like we right. they need to ease up, and he's like, cool, I don't like this vibe, but I'm your friend and I will talk to them. Then we have Simonides and Esther come in. Right, we see Ben Hur fall in love. He's already been in love, I hope, because it really takes no time at all. <laughs> and he kisses this lady and ruins her, but also makes her free. So it's real complicated. And then he goes back and talks to um, talks to Masala again. And then he says, look, I, I talked to these people. Some of them are with you. Know, most, mo- that's what he says. Most of them are, are with us. Right. And he's like, okay, well, who is it? And he, and right. he's now, like, the reason, nah, we're not I was trying to follow that. like the individual arcs of the people, but now that you mentioned it, um, yes, Esther shows up. She is the daughter of Simonides, who is a servant, originally a slave, but Ben Hur doesn't like having servant. slaves. Yeah, but yeah. He, but she is still his slave, right? And he frees her so that as she a can wedding marry gift, a yeah. merchant. Although he's longing for her, and apparently she's had a crush on him forever. Forever, yeah. yeah. Since he so was a they, teenage boy. They very much are like in love with each other, and I'm like, well, that merchant's not going to get married. Although he was willing to mm-hmm. buy her freedom, which right. is pretty awesome, I guess. Um, but he's like, well, I give you the freedom right. as my wedding gift. Because the first thing gift. he says to Simonides is like, um, I, you came into the house as a slave, something that affected, and it's like now... It's my best friend. Right. It's like this is the guy who's yeah. He relies on who handles all the affairs. Of, yeah, and takes care of the family, right. like all of the nitty gritty stuff. Um. So yeah. So he's gonna right. So when Masala does visit, he brings Terza a gift. He's welcomed the household up until he starts saying name names, name, name names. names. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the, that thing. And Judas like those are my people. Back. I'm not right. And then names. he goes on and, and gives a really interesting. Speech from his point of view, which is, you know, you're not going to come back from this. There's no King David. There's no Joshua who's going to come yeah, back. Yeah, your to save people you. are done. Right. You need to get it's on board with the new Rome. regime. Yeah. Right. And uh, and so he's he leaves the house. He's angry. Yeah, Masala's now later Oops. on, briefly. Oh, well, um, there's a procession going down the street in front of yes, uh, Judah's house. Yes. And, and Judah's house, Judah's, like, Judah Ben-Hur's house, the house of Ben-Hur, mm-hmm. or the house of Ur, her, which just sounds like her a fashion house. label, 
house of her um is basically a city block uh, one side of a city block it's massive it is a you go in my understanding is you go into the property and then there is that big courtyard and then all around the courtyard is quarters like whatever living spaces but there's this massive courtyard it's almost like going to we went to a spanish fort once it was very much like yes the construction and i'm gonna say that it takes up basically an entire city block one side of a city block like it's huge Mm -hmm. and so this procession um yeah is coming through and it's the new for the new governor which i didn't catch um and they're all up on the roof looking watching and Tirza leans on a tile, and the tile falls down, and then the new governor almost dies, but well, he doesn't. Well, the horse rears, and it smushes him against a wall. Mind you, that could be seen as horse, uh, foreshadowing, because there's going to be a lot of horse smushing. Oh, my God. Done. Horse so smushing. much horse versus <laughs> Smush, person smushing. Smushing smushing of people by horses. This is to the point where you're like, they're going to tell me that no animals were harmed, but animals were most definitely harmed. At very least, they were fucking traumatized by the stuff that they had to I, do. Yes, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I hope that they're like goldfish and they don't have any memory of it. But the, so with the governor being threatened, the new governor, Masala arrests Judah. He arrests everybody. He arrests his, ki- his family. Judah says, it mm. was me. Right. They weren't even here, which is a lie. It was Tirza, right. but he's going to step, he's going to. Stand in for him. And it was an accident. Over and over and over again. It was an accident, it was an accident, it was an accident. Right. After they're carted away, Masala goes to the roof, sees the fucking fucked up tiles, knocks one onto the ground, understands it was an accident, and still... Right. Convicts everybody, I guess. And at one point in the fortress... We don't know what happens to the sister and the mom... No, not right ...for 90 minutes. But Ben-Hur... Um, he is. Uh, he tries to make an escape once inside the fortress, and he really wants to make the escape to find where his sister and his mother are. Yeah, and so he grabs a spear. We know that he's very good with his spear yes. because he. We saw it earlier. Right. He like he did the arrow through the arrow like Robin Hood, mm. but with a spear earlier. Right. So it's that same kind of vibe. <laughs> so he's going to kill Masala, but decides not to. And Masala says, "Well, I still have your your daughter and your mother." And if he does say anything happens to me, I'll kill you in front of them. It's sister. I'll kill them in front of you. It's his sister and sister. his mother. And later they're referred to as his wife and his daughter, which is upsetting. And I'm right. like, I understand that you only refer to women as how they relate to the men in their lives, but right. that's his mother and sister, not his wife and daughter. Those are very different relationships. And the person to whom they have those relationships has long is long dead. Right. So what are we doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. It was his um it's, it's his, his mother and, and his sister. Yeah. And I was going to say her daughter is what I meant to say. Yes, right. But uh Masala threatens to kill them in front of him if anything should happen yeah, to yeah. him right now. Right, right. And he Which, goes on to say, well, th- what this is going to do is prove that I have no uh, if I'm willing to turn in my best childhood friend yeah. to Rome, that means that Rome has my 100% loyalty right. and can't be questioned. And Ben-Hur, realizing that he can't kill Masala now, plunges the spear deep into the, <laughs> the wall behind him yeah. and then 
says, God grant me the vengeance to to come back and Simonides makes an appearance as well. Right. He's also arrested. Simonides appears right after this and he gets arrested because they're asked they're, they think it's part of a conspiracy, or rather they're just blowing it up. They don't. Part he of absolutely doesn't think it's part of a right. conspiracy. He's making himself look powerful in the eyes of his elders right. and his uppers by fucking over his childhood right. best friend. And, and the implication and is whole taking all that money. We right. later on learn on that some identities is hidden money places. Yeah, the, the, the fortune of the house of her is um, safe. Also, later, they come back to the house and mm-hmm. there's nobody in it. And I'm like, if you imprison the entirety of a ro- of a of a royal family mm-hmm. so you give that palace which is basically what it is right mm-hmm. at the very least we call it a mansion um to someone like probably as a gift i'm surprised masala didn't move into it honestly right. oh, but nobody was living in it and i'm like well, that's just a waste so you 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 take from right the the royalty of the people you conquer and you give to the people who are loyal to you. That literally includes Ben Hur's best friends who maybe would turn on the Jews that did or the Jewish people that were speaking out against Rome. Look what I did to Judah Ben Hur. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of his stupidity, and I will give you this property. And maybe a well, title. It seems almost as like, if... The, but they don't do any of that. It's some, weird. Something was gotten from... But anyhow, we'll get back to some yeah. these later on. Yeah. This then uh, becomes... Uh, he's going to be serving in the galleys. Yes, he's made a galley slave, and which no typically kills you in a year. Right. Either from physical exhaustion or from pirates or from something. First he has to walk a long way because the gal- galleys, galley is in the ship. Uh-huh. And the ship needs uh, the sea, <laughs> and Jerusalem is not near the sea, even though I thought that it was. It's... <laughs> I was like, where are they So go? he's crossing through the desert, and yep. this is the reason why you need to see who Joseph is, because he appears at this scene in the film. But here's the thing. Okay. You are telling, you are saying that like nobody would have known. I don't know that anybody would have. AD. Uh-huh. In Jerusalem, uh-huh. as they are walking to the sea, when this carpenter starts talking about how his son is out, mm-hmm. you know, doing God, doing his father's work is what he says. There's like a weird snarky thing, uh-huh. and it's almost like a like a SNL sketch because you don't actually see the people talking. Right. You just see, like you you see like their bodies and the work that they're doing. Right. And this conversation now, is happening as the people are coming by. The interesting part about this film is that Jesus is a character in the yep. film. You never see never see his face. No. And you never hear his voice. But what you do know about him is he's approximately eight feet tall. <laughs> yes, he seems to be inordinately tall. <laughs> so tall. Um, he <laughs> the is... tallest, tallest Jewish man in history, maybe. <laughs> I don't... It was wild. Um, he was played by actor uh, Claude Heater, who is an opera singer. Oh, interesting. And I don't know why they chose that if he's never going to speak. He doesn't speak. 
You see him from behind. You see him walking. The first time you ever see him, you see him walk. Well, the first time you see him, you see him in a manger. Right. Then you see him walking. Mm-hmm. And then you see him he's, giving water. He's operating his saw. And he oh, sees yeah. these Roman slaves being taken uh, to this stop, I guess, before they on their way to the sea. And Ben-Hur is denied water by... Uh, the Roman guards, yeah. The centurions. They, first of all, the guards drink first. Centurions mm-hmm. drink first. They're on their horses, right, with water bottles. But sure, and they've already dropped a person off in the desert who just yes, died. just died. Right. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and then he is den- explicitly denied water. To which point, Jesus, mm-hmm. we presume, we never see his face. Also, we don't know what he looks like. Uh. Offers him water, and when the and when the Roman tries to stop him, he just <laughs> right. It's silent, and you just see the centurion's face, like not knowing how to cope. Right, exactly. With the figure that's in front of him, and it's very much like a "Why am I being such an asshole? Like, why am I doing this? Why am I torturing these people?" And then he like sort of shakes it off, and he's like, "Cause it's my job." And he walks and away. He's like, but I love that because that's kind of like that's one of the better um, recreations of Jesus and his effect on people. Sure, it's like to make them confront themselves and go, "Wait, what am I doing?" So I don't need a thing at the beginning saying, "Don't forget, Jesus is wandering around." That would have done it for me. If you show me a carpenter mm-hmm. who then offers this fallen Jewish man water and then stops this centurion in his tracks that way I know it's Jesus <laughs> right. I don't need you don't have to hold, hand hold me quite so much but this is when we also know how tall he is because Charlton Heston is what 6'3 six, three? Six, three. and he is standing at maybe not full height because he's you right. know he's been through the, through the desert dehydrated but he's standing at almost full height say six foot right. and looking just craning his neck up to well, look at Jesus and I'm like is he standing on a rock why is he so tall <laughs> so that after that respite he's then taken as much of a respite as that was yeah the next time we see Ben-Hur, he is a galley slave. It is three years mm-hmm. later. We three don't know later. how long, to, how much time has passed. We know time has passed because now there is a beard. Right. But we find out fairly quickly because he is asked by uh, the new consul. Quintus Arius. Quintus Arius, the new consul that is taking over the flagship. I almost said the flagship ship, but mm-hmm. that's redundant, like ATM machine. The flagship, period. (laughs) And he is taking that over and he is asking, he asks uh, Ben-Hur how long he's been there. And he tells him, and he brings out like to the minute or to the the day. Um, And this is played by Jack Hawkins, who you may know from such films as Bridge Over the River Kwai. Yeah. He has a very distinctive voice and I like him very much. So he's Quintus Arias. At one point, he lashes Ben Hur across the back, who and her Ben Hur lunges, but then pulls himself back. And he's, yep, well, he you says, have, "You have the fight to fight back. You have like, the will, you to, have fight the will to fight back, but the sense <laughs> not to." 
uh, what's that about? And he's like, I don't want to talk to you. Right. And as a matter <laughs> of fact, they wind up forming a strange friendship. At one point, Quintus Arius is asleep and he wakes up in Ben-Hur's in his quarters. Yeah. And it's because he'd sent for him earlier, but he's very uncomfortable. They're on a, or rather, his mission is to go out and hunt down the Macedonian pirates. Macedonian pirates, you guys. Who are... Um, who are stealing raiding on the coast Rome. and stealing stuff from How dare you steal stuff from Rome? From Rome. Rome is very They steal, you steal from them. All right. People, yes. These are ill-gotten gains, <laughs> but they are gotten. They are ours now. See also British Museum. Go ahead. <laughs> so there's a, there's a couple of scenes. There's a, uh, there's a scene that as a kid really impressed me, which is the guy who keeps the beat for the, the yeah, oarsmen. Yeah, they run through their paces. So yeah. they have the, like they're rowing at like, I don't remember the difference. Ramming speed is one of them. Right. Attack. I don't think retreat was one of them, but like no, they kept they ramping retreat. up uh-huh. the speeds, and people would fall over, and then they would just be kicked out right. of the bottom. Out, here's the horrifying thing. thing: there's a little grate in this. There's like a, a sort of a pit on one side, the pit on the other one, or a well where all the the rowers are, and they're in three different levels. Yeah, and then there's like this walkway in between that everyone's walking on. There's a grate. And they just drop people in there and get but the next one. I'm pretty sure out. that's where they, I think that's where they sleep. Yeah, like, but too. I, mean, I think everything is down. Yeah, yeah, just... no, it sucks. It definitely it's the it's the pit of the Literally, ship. yes, it is and terrible. it's probably leaking, and it's and probably at, at this point too. We know Arius has also said, "Hey, mm-hmm. hey, I own some horses and some chariots. I own some gladiators. Uh, you want to be a gladiator?" And I was like, "Why do they not learn?" <laughs> what do they not learn? Don't make the powerful ones more powerful. They will overtake you. But Ben-Hur tells him, no, I've been granted vengeance. I'm going to live. I can't believe that. It is, he has a very curious notion of God. It just, it doesn't make sense. Here's me. Mm-hmm. You're going to give me a chance to be a chariot. Ter- chariot. I get to get out of the galley mm-hmm. and get closer to where I may be able to find Masala and murder his ass? Okay. But he doesn't do that. I mean, he does end up doing, spoiler alert, he does. Don't be mistaken. (laughs) He wants to murder his ass. There's like no higher motivation here. He, uh, he wants... Well, he wants to make sure his sister and his mother are safe. Right. And then he wants to murder (laughs) his ass. So, in that order, he needs to know that the people he loves are Right. And once he's taking care of them, he's going to take care of that Roman asshole. Anyhow... So, when he tells Quintus Arius about what's happened, that kind of softens the older man up because we later learn that he had a son about who would have been Ben Hur's age. Yes, yes. Who's passed on. So, when they actually spot the Macedonian pirates, he tells one of the guards downstairs, unchain him. Yes, unchain him. So, they're about to go into battle. Not Mm. just unchain him. Chain up everybody. Right. Chain up the slaves to give them impetus to win. (laughs) That's what's called motivation. Guess what, though? There's nothing that they can do. If the if the if Mm -hmm. the boat gets rammed from the side and is torn asunder, there's nothing that these rowers can do about that. Right. That's what happens, everybody. <laughs> and a lot of them die yes. because they are chained up. But he is expl- he ex- does explicitly say, hey, unchain Ben-Hur. This one. 1959. My pet. 
This is a weirdly bloody... This is a weirdly gory film. This film is gory as hell, y'all. In weird ways, and that's the scene where the ships... And oddly, when I first saw this, I was watching it on a pen and scan, so... The two wings of the side of the of the image. Oh, you lose off. a lot. And There's a lot at, going on for right. the entire frame. Like what I, all I was looking at was just like this weird model ship, and I realized later wow. on that the reason why they use the model ships is that they used full size ships in the 1926 version, and apparently three people died. died. Of course, one of them did. was lost at sea, and the other two died from injuries from staging this naval battle. So this was they went a lot safer in this route, although. In the chariot race, it does not look at all like it was safer, but no, it, it does was. Not. And I'm pretty sure that that dude was filleted. Anyways, we'll get there. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a horrible battle. Ships, amputees. There's a guy who gets a torch put out in his face. Which In his face. <laughs> yeah, Charles Nelson holds a torch to this dude's face. You're right. like, I don't know how they did this. And then he does just poke him in the face with a flaming torch. And I'm like, that's not okay. <laughs> right. But Quintus Arius goes overboard. Whoop. And Ben Hur goes and the galley is rammed. Right. Uh, ben Hur gets the keys. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. And starts unlocking as many people as he can. He can't do everyone. And then he loops over the water and is like, "No, no, no! I'm scooping you. And And we're gonna get on this raft." And they have a Jack and Rose situation, but they could both fit on the raft, and they're on the raft (laughs) together. There's a that scene in the 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 belly of the ship really kind of speaks to Ben Hur's character because he there's a bit and again this is directed by William Wyler who's an amazing director doesn't he slit the throat of the he I guard? think he either slits it, he, he does something he kills he the guard decompa- he yeah he he kills the guard and then unlocks his right compatriot. but he keeps trying to, the first person he tries to save is the guy who's literally under the prow of the Macedonian yeah ship. like it's and he's trying to save him and the guy's bleeding profusely yeah. And it, yeah, that part was like, oh, yeah, and it I don't... did have... It, there are certain scenes in here, too, that have vibes of Les Mis. Yeah. I don't know which book was written first. Oh, Les Mis was written as a book before. Before, ben okay, Ron. yeah. Because a lot of... I am a prisoner. And he has a number at one point. I'm like, Number okay, 41. Number 41. And then he tries to lift these things, and I'm like, oh, this has like Les Mis <laughs> But he rescues uh, Quintus Arius. He gives him the whole spiel that Arius gave him in the beginning about, you know, you live for the glory of this ship. <laughs> all Quintus Arius still wants to do is, like, we come back to them and they are the only ones that we right. see. Like, the the battle is done. There are no ships or anything near them. And he's like, why didn't you let me die? I want to die. I'm going to be shamed. <laughs> I'm going to be full of shame. And then he's, uh, they see a ship. And he says, better for you if it's the Macedonians, because they'll kill me and free you. And then the ship has square sails. It's Roman. Right. He's like, it's Roman. And then he still fucking, you know, flags them down. Probably because you don't know when the next ship's coming through. And then, surprise, surprise, we find out, well, your ship sunk. And six ships did sink. But it was a total victory for Rome. And I'm like, how? <laughs> six ships going down in the sea and countless people's lives lost. They 
total victory. Okay. They're mostly condemned criminals, that's why. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, and so it is, he is lauded uh-huh. and cheered as, like, you won the battle, and Ab, even though it's like, kill and me because I'm going to be shamed. Really interesting moment where they offer him water, Quintus Arius, and he gives, and he it, gives to it to Ben-Hur, Ben-Hur which is really Because he's like, this slave yeah. saved my life. And then they end up going back to Rome, and then there's this little um, sort of meeting. So he goes, he's now right. basically, he's owned by Quintus Arius. Like, he he's traveling with him, mm-hmm. still as a slave, right? Because uh, he's still a galley slave. And they get to Rome, and there and there's like this little aside that's like, so he's he saved a consul, but he tried to murder a yes. governor? Like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Because so, hierarchically, if you want to take out Romans, this dude's a great person to take out. He's, like, right up at the top. He's, like, one of the maybe well, that's a, it's top like, 500 there's Romans. There's the people right? who are sent to Judea, which is considered a backwater, right? And that's why Masala was, like, trying to distinguish himself by bringing order to it. And then there is... Someone like Quintus Arius, who in this scene is having a conversation with Tiberius, yeah. Emperor of Rome. Emperor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So that was, and there's a that whole scene is like so many costumes. Good lord, yes. who sewed all that? And but there's this weird little aside, and you just barely hear it because you're right. not even seeing the people who are saying it. But it is like, right? So he saved a consul, but he tried to kill a governor. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and then you hear the the emperor is like, well, I can't. Like, there's not, he does the fucking king thing that I hate whenever a king tells their daughter, you gotta get married. I don't make the rules. I'm like, you literally make the rules. The emperor's like, there's not really a way for me to free him. But, like, I can, like, give him to you. You could also adopt him if you want to, and he doesn't basically do that. But, like, I don't know. I, I wonder how many people are just... Like, they went with what Masala said on the face of it, but they all understood that there was he had no intention of killing. Yeah, maybe. And they don't care who... Right. They don't care about this dude. They don't yeah. know this dude. If Masala wants this dude locked up, okay, because we don't know you. We don't give a fuck about right. you. You know? And and I'm sure many of them, they were just arrived... This, this group was just arriving to Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. So they didn't... I don't know one of you from another one of you. Right. You're just the people that we're here colonizing. So you're not important to me on and the we individual. Should, yeah. I like the fact that this movie really brings the colonizing. As soon as it started, I was like, oh, this movie is about colonizing. Yes, exactly. Okay. And <laughs> it's just, it's crazy that 1959, self-aware. Yeah. Uh, the filmmakers. So Quintus Arius and Ben-Hur form a very deep relationship. He adopts him as his son. Yeah. Gives him his royal ring. Yeah. And so... And, and this whole time he is training as a charioteer. Right, charioteer. He, he's not a gladiator. No. He is... Because, you know who else is a charioteer, everybody? Masala. This is a thing that... It's like a polo player or whatever. It's like a thing rich people do. It's mm. not... It is for sport, and people are betting, and it's wild the way that yeah. they make money, because they talk about it later, and it's like, there are people who run these chariot businesses, and it's not like NASCAR, where like Tide will give you a bunch of money. Right. You have to go to the people that you're going to 
race against, and then you bet who's gonna make yeah, exactly. who's gonna win, and then you both stake a bunch of money and then get some or all of that money at the end. Like it's it's a lot with the big money. I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like you have to be real rich and not care about your life. Those two things have to Well be as true. it turns out, so um he's now gone by the name he in Rome he goes by the name Young Arius. Young right? Arius, yeah. So which is why Masala doesn't know who he is when he's is. winning these yeah, that was confusing right. to me. Although, but he's not. I don't wait. That's the thing. Oh, is that the thing? Right. Because we talked about this when the chariot race actually comes around, mm-hmm. which is a little ways down the road. Um, and I was like, wouldn't Masala know? Yeah. And that then it was his old I was reading again. It was like, her? oh, no, he's going by young areas. He's Aries. going by young areas. He's not going by his... By his actual name. birth name. Yeah, okay. So then yeah. he... So, but, uh, mm-hmm. like, randomly... So we have this scene of this party of, like, I'm adopting him. And you see that he's... More time has gone by. Mm-hmm. So it started in the 26th. Then it was 29-ish when he got right. picked up. Now we're probably talking about 31, 32. Yeah. Y'all recall that sometime in 33 is when... One Jesus was hung on the cross. That's coming later. So we're in the right. in the year and a half, two years leading up to that. And I don't. What is the impetus? Because all of a sudden, uh, our 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 main character, our intrepid hero, is like, uh, I got to get to Judea. Like he I got to go. To find I out go what home. happened to his his? Because uh, originally, he wants to find out what happened to his mother yes. and his sister. But like. Like all of it, like they're having a party and he's been with him mm. for however long and they're in Rome and whatever and they're doing what they're doing and then it's like, I gotta go. Like, yeah, his whole thing at this point. And maybe it was, you've adopted me, it's mm. a family thing, and now I'm like, oh, I kind of have forsaken right. he, my previous family well, and I gotta go make sure that's that they're. That's kind of what the impression he gives. He says, you okay. know, I still have business to finish. I yeah. still have these things to attend to. If there's any chance that they're alive, gotcha. I have to find out. So he goes there. Uh, on the trip, he discovers two men, one of which is uh, Balthazar, who is the one wise of the man wise Hussein. people. What is and his gift? What did he give? Is he myrrh? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Y'all, it doesn't matter. Actually, it was. Was it? It's did I guess right? Yes. <laughs> and then he also meets uh, Sheikh Eldrum. Who is in? No, mind you, I thought originally that he was an ethnic actor because I had seen him do so many ethnic parts over so many You assured me that it was brown face, but it was brown face on a brown actor. You're about to tell me that's not true. He's Welsh. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) They're also a colonizer. He's got brown shoe polish on his face, y'all. I mean, it's it's egregious. They used to call it Egyptian number something or other, like number four, number yeah, five. Yeah, Max Factor came up with it, I'm sure. Right. But it is basically brown shoe polish. That's what now, it looks like. I would like to say, though, because I'm like, oh, shoot. Sometimes I, they didn't put it on his neck. Sometimes right. they did. The idea <laughs> is that his character, though, is not played... I would say broadly. it's not. I, I, it, he's fun, and he's funny, but he's not... He's fun, and he's funny. Uh, he loves his wives. He loves his horses. Not in a gross way. Um, he 
kind of just wants to stick it to rich people, even though he is a rich people, uh-huh. which is pretty funny. I don't think his... I mean, I am not of Arabian descent. Is that even a thing you'd say? Ugh. That's what horses are. Are people... Is this like Oriental? We don't use this term for people? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Um, but... So so I don't... I can't say it's not offensive. I will say the character is maybe one of my favorite people. He's very likable and he's very He's funny. very likable. He's very funny, but not like as a butt of a joke. No. As like, no, no, no. He will make you the butt of his jokes. Because exactly. he's, he's quite clever. He's very quick. It's also funny watching the... And I, and I understand that the, the differences in religion would come a, a good deal in the future, historically, for more speaking. But it's fun watching this Arab just go whole hog on supporting the Jews. You know, it's like, because together we hate the Romans. Together we hate the Romans. It's a friend of my, or enemy of my enemy is my friend situation, for sure. And he has the most gorgeous right. set of Arabian horses. And this is like before Arabians were were known in the world. Mm-hmm. Like he is literally introducing these horses to Rome. And they are just they are really beautiful. They are stunning. And as Ben Hur is watching them practice mm-hmm. when when he speaks to the Sheikh later, he's like, You've got your slowest one on the outside, put him on the inside. Like he, ju- he right, just knows he that, and he says, "Loosen up on their thing and on whatever the thing that they uh, the lead the leads, and they'll go faster." Right, and and we already know that the the sheikh is very much against the notion of he almost, I mean, he practically brains one of his guys for going because he was going to hit the horse. Yes, to make it go faster. It's like no, 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 no. When it hits my horse, it's no. Yeah, he's not using. He's using a whip because all place of people use a whip, mm-hmm. but. We see in the chariot race later, y'all. He doesn't use a whip. He's not using a whip. He's And he's wrapped his arms in their leads. Mm-hmm. He's got leather wraps on both wrists. Right. He, if they go, they're going to drag him. Yeah. He is He is basically the fifth horse. Like, the way that he is riding with them. Mm-hmm. And he does not have a whip in his hands. He's the only racer. The only racer without right. a whip in his hands. Because he knows how to get the horses to run fast at pace instead of hitting them so that they leap forward a little bit right. every time you hit them. Right, they adrenalized and then they not... start burning out the adrenaline. Exactly, yeah. And, and he even mentions there's a lot of weird like, horse racing lore, mm-hmm. chariot racing lore you get throughout the yeah. course of this film about how to arrange the horses. He like, the, the, the night that he visits the sheik, he the horses come into the tent. Mm-hmm. They are free to enter the tent. They all come in. They get snacks and pets and loves. It's very sweet. <laughs> and then they then he says, "Okay, go to bed." And then they all turn around and leave. And then he's like, "Gonna have his wives come in," because he does right. basically a thing where he has them all come in, and then mm-hmm. he like greets each of them, and then picks the one he's going to spend the night with, and he invites Ben-Hur to stay and watch that. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I will see you in the morning. Good night. Godspeed. But he, but during this whole night, the sheik is like, um, and I don't even want to say sheik, sheik, the word is pronounced sheik, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is like, do you want to race for me? You should race for me. No, like, you should totally race right. for me. Also, did you know that there's this 
ways are coming up that we're going to be going up against uh, by the name of uh, Masala. <laughs> right. At which point he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and then he's like, he does, right before they part company the first time, he's like, chariot races are dangerous. <laughs> People die on the field all the time. All right, have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Sweet dreams. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical because it's, it's so yeah, good. It's very He's like, obvious. I mean, if you want your revenge, mm-hmm. we could. It can be arranged. We could set some. We could maybe set something up. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so Ben Hur's left alone with Balthazar, who is at this point talking about how he has spent all the time since going to this, um, going to see Jesus in a manger. Yeah. He spent this entire time looking for him, so that's yeah. what Balthazar's story arc is. Yeah, he's now looking to find that that. He's child. like, I know he's, I know he's of age, and mm-hmm. I know that it's important that I find him. And he actually goes up to our right. main character and is like, "Are you him? I don't think you're him. If you were him, I'd know it." But at this point, like, that's the that's that that to me is the interesting thing with about this character is uh-huh. he is fundamentally a good man. Right. Does he want to straight murder Masala? Yes. Does yes, he, he have does. good reason? Yes. yes. <laughs> hey, that's kind of like, like I what can't... I said. In the in the bowels of this ship, his yeah. first instinct is, yes, I did kill somebody, but I'm trying to get everyone out of here. Right. And then he and is... all that person was going to do was hinder other people right. from living. So yeah, no, you don't get to. <laughs> yes, somebody gets a torch in the face, but he's trying to get yeah. overboard to save this other guy. Yeah. And so it's he is a good person, but he's very conflicted because he's well. And just, also, that person right. would have killed him. That's right. the other thing is uh, uh, his hand to hand deaths very very often are with people who have come to kill him. Right, exactly. So it is it almost is like a stand your ground situation, but mm-hmm. it's a, like a real one. His right. life is in danger, and if he doesn't put these people down, they're going to kill him yeah. without a second like a second thought. No, without a second. And thought. And Rome has already indicated to him multiple times. Your life matters not at all to us. Who you are as a person, we do not care. Right. We do you will... have stuff that we want. <laughs> there we go. So, um, Ben Hur visits Masala. Yeah. Gives him a gift of a dagger, and there's a funny line where Masala's like, "Would you like me to use it on myself?" <laughs> and I'm like, uh, we could save us all some time if you want to. And Ben Hur instead is just very much in charge of the situation. Masala, there's the first time you see like a racial element. Well, not the first time, but you really feel it then that Masala is bristling at the fact that Ben Hur is giving him orders. But also, mm-hmm. he's gonna listen because what does Ben Hur have on his hand? Quintessarius's ring. Quintessarius's ring, which means he basically right. outranks. Yes. Masala in Rome. And that's something that we mentioned, too, at the time. Is <laughs> yes. Masala, all he wanted was to have... He was talking up Rome. Right. You and me together. I can take you to Rome is the place to be. I can get you there. Right, exactly. And he is coming from Rome. Right. After basically winning Rome. <laughs> right? I mean, he took a hard way to get there. But, right, exactly. Um... And at this point, but he didn't have to sell his best friend. Down the he, river, in all likelihood, he? <laughs> has met the emperor. We know that his adopted father he de- talks he was, to the emperor on a regular he was, basis. He was, right, he has, yeah, he has, because he was based. But also, he says, mm-hmm. I, I believe when we hear, because I don't think we see it, we hear the emperor mm-hmm. say, 
I, I don't make the rules. There's right. not really a way to do this. He's there. Right. He is having his sentence. So, yeah, so Masala's whole thing of, I can get you to see the emperor of yeah. Rome. It's like, no, he he's like, I, I know him. him. Right. I know him. So Masala's second in command <laughs> goes to try to find out what happened. Well, he says, mm-hmm. oh, I'm coming back in 24 hours and you're going to tell me where my, or, and, right. and you're going to have my That's sister what and tells, my, tells you're going to have my sister and my mother. And then Masala's like, um, what the fuck happened to a sister and his mom? Because I definitely have not tracked that. It's not like these people cared for me when I was a child. Right. And this wasn't like my sister and my mom. I don't know what happened to them after that day when I decided that they were guilty or whatever. So please go try and find them. Because he's definitely going to kill me tomorrow if we don't have them. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, he does. He finds that uh, they are... Lepers. They have been locked mm-hmm. for the entirety of this time. It's been over five years in the dungeons, which are down, 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 because we kind of go down into the bowels, dug in. Mm-hmm. There's they the the jailer knows that they're in there because the food disappears, but he's never yeah, seen them. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the food he's disappears. never seen them in the three years that he's been there, but he knows they're still eating the food. And then he goes and he opens the door and he pushes the door and you can hear it and displace all the dirt. Yeah. That's been, like, this door has not been opened in five years. Mm-hmm. And we don't see what they see. We just see horrified faces and we find out, yes, they are lepers. They have contracted leprosy probably from I don't even know how you contract leprosy when it's just the two of them in the I don't know how many thing. people were in the cell originally that's or true any of that's that. true right. um, and so they are and then he, does he make the executive decision or does Masala tell him release them yeah they get released to the he makes a decision uh, Drusus which is Drusus, the, 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 the assistant slash we're not sure, but we'll discuss more about what that relationship could be, um, makes the decision that they're going to be taken to the Valley of the Lepers. Now, what we hadn't discussed, or the beat that I skipped, unfortunately, was that Ben-Hur also returns to his ancestral home. Yes. He sees... Well, I think we see him go to Masala first, and then right. we see him go home, because he he's got 24 home. hours to he chill and wait for Esther, yeah. who thinks he's a ghost. Yes. Because uh, there's no way he could survive... Five years gone, right? right? The galleys kill you in one. Exactly. So there's no way that this man should be standing here and right now. And so she winds up that Simonides is still alive, but they've beaten him, frankly, so that his legs don't work. Yeah. And another they, man... They, they tortured him for all of the information. And, and then later we find out for where the goal, where the her right. fortune is, and he wouldn't... Right. He never broke. Because that's family, yo. <laughs> And um, so he has uh, met up with, or his assistant is this enormous man. He's got a Hodor. Right. Who is, uh, who's released the same day and he makes a really funny crack. It's like, well, you know, my brain and his body, essentially, we make a formidable man. A formidable man. I'm his, yeah, I'm his brain and he's my legs right because he can't speak the, this man had his tongue cut out by the romans cool cool, cool. and so you know simonides has his legs broken so he has to be carried around in a litter yeah. which to a, a guy like this he's a giant practically 
is not going to be a problem. It's not a problem, right? Yeah. So he Simonides is also beginning to it has some of that infection. He wants to hate. He hates Rome. He hates Rome. He hates Rome. He wants to gather together all the families. Uh, all the families. It sounds like we're talking about the mob. Uh, the the wealthy families in Judea. He wants to get them together. He wants to overthrow Rome, which is not a realistic concern right now. Judah just wants to get his family back. Miriam and Tirza visit. They come to mm-hmm. the, the house. Right. And Esther sees them. She, she and they, they basically say, Judah, Judah can't know that we're alive. Right. Uh, Masala's going to tell, tell him that we died. I don't know if they know that, but I think that they presume that, or it might be the day after, because Masala does tell, like, the plan is we're just going to have to see what he does because I can't give him his perfect wife and, or, you know, wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mother and sister, guys. Right. Mother and sister. <laughs> um, and they don't want him to know that they're alive because it would destroy him, which well, I don't... I think the idea is that they understand that he's already burning. And the idea that they're alive and they've contracted leprosy might just sort of push him into it. I don't know how it could get much worse for him. To me, and I I just, this is a cultural, maybe a cultural sticking point, but I would rather know that my, even if they, I knew that they were in pain, I know that I, come live here. You can be quarantined in this giant space that we have. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get our money, right? Like, that's definitely a thing that's going to happen. But um, I would rather know that you're alive and I can take care of you than to think that you're dead. Like, (laughs) but they all seem to, although he wants to know later when he finds out that they're alive, he wants to know that they're alive and then he doesn't, then they switch it back on him. It would kill them to know that you know, that they know, that you know, that they know. And I'm just like, fuck! Uh, anyway. So, <laughs> now believing, as he's been told by Esther, that oh, his mother... who never returned, by the way, to where she came from and is not married. Right. We should say that. And he's wearing her ring still. He took her slave ring and said he wouldn't take it off until he saw the woman that he was going to marry. And he's still wearing it. Right, um, exactly. So... They're in love, you guys. So he now has, hearing that they're dead, is now committed toward some sort of accident happening in the arena. He smacks, smashes the mezuzah, mm-hmm. which is the thing on the outside of the house that holds the Torah. Mm-hmm. Torah. And then he storms off. And then that's intermission. <laughs> I will say that that's intermission, right? No. And... Yeah. Um, and then he and he's going to the shake. That's where he's headed. Right. Yeah. And so there's a, a brief period that we see, at least in terms of the film, with him training and getting the horses, and they trust him as much as they trust the shake. Uh, there's a really funny scene. Yeah, where he's Sheik, made he's made that right. him one of the fam. Like he is one of them. Shake yeah. Eldrum goes, and he. There's a very funny scene where he goes to Masala's. Yes. Uh, bathhouse where all of his men are, are taking their day long baths, like. And this is do. how he's. This is the. This is him making mm-hmm. his money. Right. This is how they do it. So he's like, I'm gonna challenge you. And then what does he say? It's like, um, 
finally, he uh, because Masala is a champion at chariot uh, yeah. on the chariot. He uh, he asked for four to one odds, and Basala goes four to one. The difference between a Roman and a Jew, and then one of the guys goes or an Arab, and his response is ha ha ha, bravely spoken. <laughs> bravely spoken, because you know he has a knife on him. Well, um, he also has his assistant back assist, there, like yeah, he's bad, yeah. <laughs> But the other thing that we should say is he's talking about oh, he was a galley slave, right? Like. Have you heard? Right. The the person that you're going to be racing, I think he's from around here, actually. <laughs> like, he's a local favorite. He was sent to the galley, like, a long time ago. And mm. they're like, you can't survive the galley. He did. And he's he's got right. a console. Like, and like, can you believe? Can he you plays believe? them like a kazoo. What? I won't get four to one mo- odds? Where is the bravery that made Rome the masters of the world? Like, <laughs> He completely appeals to their vanity to where yeah. they all look at each other like, I guess we have to do this now. Yeah. So but Masala then knows, okay, mm-hmm. well I'm gonna we're gonna do this and this is gonna be a whole thing. And then Masala shows up to a chariot race with a knife. <laughs> um and I didn't like it. And you were like, It's not it's in the it's not in the rules. <laughs> the rules say that the dog can play. Um my problem was this. It wasn't sharp spokes on the wheels uh-huh. it was that if that was legal every single chariot would have done it is this the first time that anybody's ever done because if i think that you might have that i'm putting it on mine right. why would you not I, it might have been a surprise <laughs> because she killed him okay so we then go into the because he's got big blades the on it's very the lauded chariot race which does not last nearly as long it's like 20 minutes it is not nearly as long as i thought it was gonna be and but it is absolutely 100 percent what everyone says it oh is. yeah it's 100 yes yeah yeah yeah. it it's is like, almost like a perfect movie in and of itself right and you can see everything from death rate 2000 to mad max to the everything oh. borrows from this scene yep um and it, it's yeah, it is. And they start by bringing the horses all the way around the track. Right. And all I was thinking was, that is a tight fucking track to have mm. four horses Four horses wide per chariot. Per chariot. And there are th- eight, nine, something I like that. I forget how many competitors there's there are. There's several, y'all. There's several. And it's the first to finish nine laps. Right. That's what and we're they're, doing. They're, those are helpfully demonstrated by having a dolphin. A brass dolphin. Brass they dolphin. Pull this hook on and it, it tips over. And yeah. And uh, and then there is a race, y'all. It gets... Very intense. I don't know how animals did not die. The, <laughs> this was... There is a stuntman, a genius of a stuntman, Yakima Kanut. Okay? Yakima Kanut. What Knut. a good name. Oh, yeah. His, his, uh, his uh, father's he, name was Lemuel Kanut, actually. Oh. Um, but is he, he indigenous? He... Claimed indigenous heritage. Oh, no. There's some disputes <laughs> oh, about that. No. <laughs> but he really was the first modern stuntman. Okay. Um, in that he did a lot of westerns in the early days with John Wayne. In Stagecoach, he did the falling underneath the uh, stagecoach gag that you know, getting dragged by the stagecoach afterwards. He did that back before anyone really knew how. Jumping on the backs of horses in front of the stage, all that business he invented. Um, 
and he really the the whole reason why we do a lot of the sort of modern stunt stuff is based on things that he helped create years and years ago. By this point, he and his son were working together, and they took I think it was two or three months just to shoot this scene along with the director. Well, that seems about right. And they had to, you know, on their off moments, everyone's out there training on how to run the horse. Even though they have doubles uh, that are running for them, they're going to do close-ups. There was all sorts of issues with this scene, but all of that time really pays off. It's an amazing piece of work and really unexpectedly violent. And yeah, so you're seeing, uh, it's not that you have to take out your opponents, (laughs) but they do. Opponents are taken out. Horses go down. There's a part, and, and he he masala is taking out people with his sharp cherry right. wheels um also a lot of whipping which i hate every time and i'm just like that's not going to get you the whatever it's it is what it is and then uh there are like it's every time a a chariot goes down you just see like the little ambulance people come out run out with stretchers mm. and um like carts to drag things off the field right. because the they're not stopping. No, they're not. And if they come back around and they run into something, that's a problem. And they do. And they do. <laughs> right. and they do. There's, one, there's <laughs> one guy I remember as a kid. That would always sort of surprise me where Masala's running one, one of the other charioteers very close to the wall and there's a man standing guard at the wall who just gets struck. Just struck yeah. And then the next the set of horses out. run him over. Yep. And that's it. It's that's like, it. That whole aside was just to show you, oh, no, this is how ruthless it's getting yeah. here. And finally, Masala tries to drive Ben-Hur into the wall, mm-hmm. and he ends up destroying his own chariot instead. And he does get pulled under You're right. the chariots, the two that are coming up behind. There are eight horses' legs that he just tumbles through, and then he is... On the ground. <laughs> and they want to tell me that this man is not dead yet. <laughs> he doesn't die yet. He is all wet. Like, all of his skin yes. has come he off of his very body. very nasty impression that he's been flayed alive, basically. He's also... Both of his legs are... I, it's something like 50-some broken bones right. in his body. <clears throat> Because when we cu- we keep cutting back to him, and he's like, "No, he's coming. Mm-hmm. Do not knock me out. Do not, do not. Just right. leave yes, it in front of him." And race. his doctors are like, "Um, when he goes, he takes out the two that were behind him because right. it's hard to run over a man and then continue." And and Ben Hur passes the the, the, finish, the line. finish line, so he wins definitively he actually does win the race it's not like a forfeit and i'm the no. last one he crosses the finish line and it and it, it and he, he does go see masala who kia keeps pushing off the doctor the doctor's like we can't wait you're gonna die you're gonna die i'm like he's gonna die anyways here's a tip roman surgery that's <laughs> probably not gonna save anybody no. um they're just in a tent they're not right. in the hospital like it's I mean, He's Roman surgery was great. Everywhere. Roman field surgery was even worse. Well, yeah, so no. no. And he says, 
Uh, and I, here's what I don't understand, mm-hmm. and you maybe should clarify this for me. He says, um, look for your family in the Valley of the Lepers. Lepers right. Um, why does he do that? He does that because he says, like, the race is going on. I'm still going to beat you somehow. Like, this is vindictive. This is entirely okay. vindictive. That's what I could not, I'm like, really on your deathbed? Yeah. You're just so fucking petty? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, he's fine. already proved how petty he is, sure. right? So, and and he is he is the so this movie very much comes down to mm-hmm. we've got Ben Hur and we've got the Angel of Jesus on one uh-huh. and the Devil of Masala on the other, right? And it's do you forgive? Yeah, that's the whole. That's part the of whole. It. That's the whole. That's that's the theme of this movie. Do you forgive? Not murder and then let it go. <laughs> like, true, genuinely forgive. Well, and he, there's a, to Hassan's credit, when he sees Masala afterwards, there's this kind of interesting look on his face that's sort of disgust and at the same yeah. time kind of like. He's like, pretty. this is, look, we didn't have to get here. Yeah, why, 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 how did, did we, we get here? Right, exactly. Like, you came to visit me and we were cool and then. Right. And you have grown not at all from that, <laughs> which is wild to see. And look look what it's done for you. Not a lot. You never made it to Rome, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're out here in podunk nowhere. Right, exactly. Chariot racing Jews. Right. Is this the life that you saw for yourself? <laughs> like, ooh, <laughs> that's a bad look, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah, and so- then he does. Die. <laughs> he, he, die. He, Stephen Boyd gives a wonderful, horrible death rattle scream thing. He's, he, he eats that part of this performance. I mean, he eats the entire performance alive, frankly. Yeah. But that death scene is like, oh God, that was good. You know, I wanted it. A pause. And to me, for what I need from a movie, mm-hmm. we could be done now. Right. We could be done now. We could We've be got done. another 40 minutes. I feel like it's pretty long. Yeah, because we still got to do the Sermon on the Mount, and then we've well, got to we do the. And again, we don't actually hear we the don't. Sermon on the Mount. We don't. We don't. But we go mm. through these things. So this is when he goes to the leper colony. Is is uh, body checked by Esther, who's right. like, "Don't. They can't know you're here." And he's like, "Why do you know they're here, though?" <laughs> <laughs> so they have a big fight, yeah. um, and then he, but he does listen to her, and then they're going home, and he's basically about to go fuck Rome, right. fuck you, fuck everybody. He's he, listening to Simonides' idea about like maybe we should start a rebellion against the rebellion. Let's right. let's let's fight literally fuck Rome. Let's do it. Right. And he, um, I believe, has already taken off his ring right. because he, he does have respect for Arius, and right. he doesn't. He doesn't want to be a traitor in the ring. That right. he respects him enough for that. Which is very sweet of him, I think. In other words, again, that's because he's the, he he's not the quality of the man. Because he mm-hmm. hates Rome. Right. The institution. He doesn't hate every Roman he doesn't person. Hate Romans, no. No. And yeah. So that's something to think about. Um and so and then he visits Pontius Pilate. A man you may have heard of. <laughs> and basically is like, fuck Rome, fuck you. Oh, and that's when he gives up his ring. Right, he gives up his He's ring. He's like, then. please return this because 
I I still hold him in esteem. And then he goes back to the leper colony and is like, Mommy, I love you. And she's like, get away from me. And also your sister's dying. And then he's, then Esther's like, so there's this preacher. (laughs) And, um... Poor six foot three Charlton Heston probably did not like being that, shooting that scene where he has to go get Terza out of possibly a cave with God, four that, foot clearance. It was wild. Or it was like this cave with, yeah, it looked like about four six was the level, like the. Right, the level. And it was a flat, uh-huh. huge cavern. Right. But you couldn't stay. I couldn't stand up straight. Yeah. Like, no, and I'm trying to like, imagine, like, God, that must it have been. It was such a weird set. I was like, is this based in reality? Like I, I think it's they low? shot in a lot of actual locations around Maybe. Rome in Italy. Yeah. So I believe that that's an actual. We should say there's a there's a point after mm. the first leper colony visit. I don't love the term leper colony, everybody. I'm sorry. Um, where Esther is like, let's go listen to this dude talk. He's going to talk about right. this mount up here, and and it's very tall. Guy. And and Ben Hur is like. I'm mad at Rome and I need to go tell somebody about it. And so they split mm-hmm. off and we see him look up and we see this, all these people going mm-hmm. up to this, it's going to be the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. what's about to happen. <laughs> when we look up there, we see all like little people, this little crowd, and then this very large white, <laughs> I'm going to say vaginal shaped, like he's like, this he looks like a leaf or something it's just white leaf and i'm sure it's the robes and then he's got his hands out right so it's fabric and this but it's like and it's just so big up on the hill and i'm like what's going on with how big why is jesus a kaiju in this movie (laughs) it's so strange um yeah (laughs) that's so that's description That's going to stay with me. Thanks um, a lot. He's so, he's just <laughs> very weirdly very, large. And I had not movie. paid attention to that before. And I, like I said, I've seen this movie a lot when I was a kid. And I hadn't it's seen literally, it. as, as Heston is drinking water, he's just like, <laughs> he's, he looks like a six-year-old looking at an adult. Jeez, <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I guess that's a very, very tall, Jesus, so like how tall, tall is he? But, so Esther is real... We're into this Jesus mm-hmm. fella, and he talks about forgiving. And, and I had a weird sort of disconnect because she literally is like, "There's a rabbi traveling the the right. the countryside, and he's talking about how um, love is the most important thing, mm-hmm. and how we need to forgive." Right? Or like how, how forgiveness is is what we should be doing, or whatever. And I was like. This is the thought I had. Isn't that what all of them would be saying? Because that's what a that's what a right. that's what a pastor does. Somebody who acts in that certain right. rabbi is different. I understand, but and then I was like, oh no, oh no, that one did it. So now I think it's usual. Right, it's exactly. usual. And I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> And to get sort of like Plato's ideal, and then you're like, well, yeah, it looks like the thing, and it's right. like, no, 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 but they look like that because this looks like yeah, this. Exactly. Like it's a very, it was a very weird thing because I was like, why are you so keen on this one rabbi out in the countryside talking about what rabbis talk about? And then right, I was like, exactly. oh, uh, what were rabbis talking about? I wonder. Nothing so good, I guess. 
<laughs> so they, uh, she's very keen on having Jesus talk to Esther and Miriam. Uh, uh, Terza, Terza, excuse yeah. me, Terza she, and Miriam. She thinks that he might be able to heal her. So they, they go Although get they don't really talk about healing, right. his healing in this. And there's like a really fun thing when Balthazar is talking about about talking to Charles Heston right at the beginning mm-hmm. when he first meets him and he's like, No, he'd be about your age and you know, he could be, you know, a potter or that like he lists right. a bunch of stuff but he never says carpenter and I was like, Thank you for not saying carpenter <laughs> Like I was like, that felt real. Like yeah. you would name a bunch of things and you wouldn't name the thing he actually was. <laughs> If you don't know, and he didn't know. And I was like, that's like, that's like a weird tell of good writing, I think. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, they didn't do the obvious thing. They did the obvious thing without doing the obvious thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're going to go. They're going to try and find Jesus to have him help Tirza, who is dying. Find him. And he is um, is, uh, being beaten. (laughs) You find him just as Pontius Pilate is washing his hands. Literally washing his hands. Which we've talked about on our other podcast. (laughs) This is not my responsibility. When idioms (laughs) really break through. Um, But he's then taken and he's crucified. He's carrying his cross through the streets. Balthazar sees him. Um... And has seen him, has right. been following him. Yes. I think at the mount, I think yes, he, he sees him at the Sermon, Sermon on the Mount. Well. So he's found him mm-hmm. and he's with him. Right. Um, the uh, We also see that uh, Ben-Hur realizes he gave me, he's the one who gave me water. He's the one, like, because he's talked about the, the man right. that gave him water a couple of times. Like, he left an impression because right. that's how Jesus do. <laughs> um, and so he's like, oh... And then, like, there's a lot of, he's he's come in front of me right? at sort of key moments. Like, maybe I need to key into that. He right. gives him water. He reverses it as he's walking through the streets. He does give Jesus water. You see Tirza and Miriam are, like, they're weirdly crouched on the ground as he's walking. Like, I don't, it's fair. The way that this scene is staged is real strange because it's supposed to be over a period of time. These women are very sick and are also trying to hide themselves right. because they will be stoned, I think. Yeah, they will be because there was a scene earlier where when he first brings them into uh, Jerusalem, uh, they, uh, Judah and Esther bring them in. That's right. Um, they ask a blind man, like, where is everyone? Oh, they're at the trial. What That's trial? Right. And they even, he even, to, to give you an idea of how extensive the prejudice is against the lepers, is that he puts, Judah drops some coins in this blind man's That's right. cup, and then someone yells, lepers, and picks up rocks and starts throwing, starts throwing them, them. That's at right. Them they literally do turn. And run away. And then the blind man dumps over the coins because he doesn't want to catch the leprosy. Yeah. Which I looked it up, and leprosy was actually not that. Transferable. Right. It's just that we didn't have hygiene the way that we have it now. Yeah. In two thousand, and also, it doesn't. His little fun facts about leprosy, you guys. It's not that bad anymore. I mean, it still can be. The sores. You're prone to sores, and mm-hmm. the problem is that you lose feeling 
so you don't tend to them so that they don't heal. Right. So if you have somebody in your life who can look you over in the beginning or the end of your day to make sure you didn't nick yourself on something and get a, a wound that you didn't know about, you can take care of that. You'll heal back up. It, you, you just have a way slower healing factor. People who have leprosy, which they don't like the term leper, they prefer now. Well, of course, people not. with leprosy because they're people um, can live with family. Like you don't have to be quarantined. Um, and the other thing um, is like it's it's very communicable, but only five percent of people who get it manifest it. Okay. So you're probably going to catch leprosy, but... I'm just going to stay away from one... <laughs> lepers given my, my weird ability to you're attract... You're immunocompromised. I'm immunocompromised. Strangest, it's not a good idea. strange disease, uh, illnesses yeah. Yeah. that I can possibly yeah. get, right? No, stay yeah, away Yeah, right. No, the, the, the upper respiratory system, or mm. uh, upper respiratory disease that you should have gotten turned into literal like um like bone eating right <laughs> fungi so, like, yep, so yeah it's not it was you were supposed to have some coughs not what yeah, you had I, so yeah no we don't mess with that but but i'm saying yeah. it's not what it has been in the past and what it is in poor areas that don't have the resources that we have so they follow Jesus. Um, he's crucified. He's dropped into the ground in a real. That, that scene got to me too, as a kid. Yeah. Like, oof. They finish hammering. Uh-huh. They lift him up, and then there's this kachunk as he drops maybe two feet. Right. And the jostling of your body that is literally nailed to this. Oh yeah, it was rough. <laughs> That kind of, yeah, that that was, even watching that now, it's like, wow, okay, yeah, that was as bad as I remember it. So uh, there's, of course, it goes to darkness, like it says in the book. And he stays there. And he ben stays there. is watching mm-hmm. the crucifixion. Ter, uh, Terza, Terza Esther, and Miriam Paris, have gone Esther. back to the house. Well, no, no, they're under, they find shelter in a cave. Oh, that's right. Because the, the storm right. happens, it's lightning and thunder and... It sounds like a tornado almost. And, and then so, yeah, they, an, they do. The earth is shaking and. Earthquake, that's right, yeah. And then during this, uh, they become. They're cured. Yes. Of their leprosy, which we then see on the hands of Christ, oddly enough. And then um, there is a. It's weird. He's not a sin eater. That's not. There's a very strange kind of. A suggestion that his blood has now run all over the world. Yeah, it's which was very disturbing, and I don't like that. Um, but the last scene that we get is Ben Hur returning to his home and telling Esther that he's now become convinced of the error of his ways. He yeah. took the sword out of my hand. He says. he says he died. Right, and she's like already, which because it right. usually takes about three days to die. Across, yeah, FYI. Um, and but when then, you yeah, beat the daylights out of somebody before, yeah, I know, I know. Um, and then yeah, he and then his sister and his uh, mom come out, 
and they are healed, and then they all hug. And that's the end of the film. And that's the end of the film. So what did you think of it overall? Honestly, take out all the Jesus. Not all the Jesus. If I really, I do, I think the movie is strong uh-huh. and really says the things that I needed to say without the Christmas story at the beginning. And basically, we could condense the stuff after the chariot race into about 10 minutes. I don't need it. It's, it's very hand-holdy with Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Pontius Pilate, we're going to get rid of, like, he, there are some lines in there that are very heavy-handed about I forgiveness, like, right. and Esther trying to say, no, this rabbi is saying this, I, I just, I don't, right. I don't need it, especially because I've got, I'm trying to do the math here, 60 years of films since then. That I so I just don't, I get it. I know I understand I get it. I know what we're doing like we don't you don't need to be so right. handed with this, but it was super thrilling. It was I really like Charles Heston in this movie. He almost he didn't use his teeth to act <laughs> hardly at all. There were like three scenes where I was like, put him away, calm down. But uh, it was nice to see him not be an asshole, right? <laughs> Well, and that's it. That's the reason why when we were watching Planet of the Apes, I thought, oh, God, this, you know, he's such a prick in this movie. Yeah. And he really is. He was a world away from watching him play this decent person who's yeah. struggling with his decency and this kind of need to, to get revenge and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I really, I, I, the writing was largely, uh, I, I think the writing was excellent, but mm. I, um, and I don't know how much of that comes from well, the book there's and how much of it comes from the Twelve versions of the script, of, apparently. Yeah. And the, the two versions that came mostly to the forefront were Christopher Fry, who was a poet, who also wrote Barabbas, which is another great film. Mm-hmm. Based in the same right. time. Or the, that takes place at the same time. And also, um, he, uh, also, uh, Gore Vidal. Right. Well... We should say, mm-hmm. so the the book is written by Lou Wallace, right. General Lou Wallace. The screenplay is um, attributed to Carl Tunberg. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's a bunch of uncredited right. contributing authors. Gore Vidal leads the list, and then... Yeah, and it might have been Gore Vidal's draft, because Vidal did a number of things to the film. Vidal is, how can I put it politely? You do not enjoy... He is very much anti-religious, particularly anti-Christianity. And Which that is a weird be... way to a weird person to bring in for this, right? Because... But the thing was that he also was a very well-researched historical writer yeah. who just finished writing a novel or an unpublished novel, I think, on the Roman Emperor Justinian. I think it was. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Or Julius? I can't remember. Julian? Maybe it was Julian the Apostate he was writing about. But anyhow. He uh, he himself was one of the few openly gay writers. Right. He, he carried on a long-going feud with uh, William F. Buckley. That's fun to watch if you ever find their their raging interviews. I was just going to say because I'm clicking around on right. IMDb and I went to Gore Vidal's page because he's got a Gore Vidal page because mm-hmm. um, he was a writer on this and right. then other things. There's a thing 
from 2015 called Best of Enemies, Buckley v- versus right. Vidal. It's a 2015. Is it a documentary? It's a documentary. I've seen okay. it. Okay. And it, is that, would that be worth checking that out? That would be worth checking okay. out and watching. Maybe that's a little recommendation, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a very interesting documentary, but like Vidal had no fondness for Christianity itself. He wrote several books criticizing it. Well, he was a gay man. Right. But he was also, on top of that, he was very fond of being that gay man, that very arch, very... Right. But in this, in the mm-hmm. time when he's writing, there's not a church that is um, sympathetic to him openly. Probably not openly. Right? Not. So, but raised in the church or not raised in the church, they're condemning him. An equal number of kind of uh, issues, uh, you know, sort of like these... Campaigns of wit against other authors. Truman Capote is one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, he's also got. Yeah, yeah no, I know he wasn't maybe. Uh, yes, he's a snark. He's a snark but he was sure. actually at times very funny. I mean, um, typically those who are snarks well, typically are funny. Like, if you're on their side, mm, you think they're funny. If they're against you, you think they're just right. straight up and dick so who's not funny. Like when Stephen Boyd, the Irish actor, uh-huh. is asked to play Masala, he doesn't know how to get a handle on his part. And he asks Gore Vidal, and Vidal tells him to play this as a spurned lover, someone who is trying to... Yes, which I really like that read. Right. And um, so apparently no one told Charlton Heston this, uh, and but this is a good idea. And when you read it that way, you see there's a lot of... And I actually think it would, unless Charlton Heston's a dickbag mm. about this subject, which is possible... I feel like that direction to both of them. Mm. Because it almost felt like Ben-Hur was a little bit, not not feeling spurned or anything like that, but like her, like I thought right. that we were as close as two men could be. See, I think it works better the way, I, and I don't know that Charlton Heston had problems with... I, I have no idea. I don't I, know. I, I, I know that he had certainly know. a lot of friends that were gay. Barbara Stanwyck among them. He's made some, he used to pal around with her. But um, he, uh, I think that it works better because it's, you can see this kind of pain in Stephen Boyd's face and this disappointment. And it really puts him in a place to where he's able to sort of act on a different level than even Ben Hur is, because, or Heston is, because Heston's kind of like, I, I don't know why this is happening to me. Right. Whereas, Masala does, and right. there's there's that kind of. I don't love. Here's what I don't love mm-hmm. about a spurned love, right. um, is how utterly vindictive he gets. I mean, mm-hmm. it feels it feels very much like incel behavior almost. If right. if you're going to take this as a spurned love thing, and I don't love putting that on gay men because right. already they are off it. We're talking about Anthony Perkins. We're talking about Psycho yes. in, in another... I mean, it's the number yeah. one movie on this, so we'll be talking about it in 50 weeks or whatever, but the gay, you know... Uh, that, which is the interesting question. Why the gay writer, who of the dozen writers right. contributed, is the one who contributed this idea? Well, because I, I think that we're also operating still in a time of any representation at all. Mm. Like anything, and it's not is open. But I, I always felt <laughs> it's not open. And I, that well, out. I could definitely see that, especially some uh, of the looks that Masala gives. Right, Judah. Yeah, and, and so after, and which are never are lascivious, not no. that kind of look, just kind of a 
there's something here that I want. And I don't even maybe know what and it that is. Might also, that, it could read better that way where he's not aware of this. Right. But the one person who it comes to me across as someone who knows what their orientation is was Drusus, who's Masala's right hand. And would know anything Masala right. does. And when he, Masala gets carried underneath the wheels, the look on his face, yeah. he just stands up and he looks But like, also, keep in mind, right. what is his life if right, exactly. that man doesn't exist anymore? So yeah, but there's a lot of there's a lot you <laughs> like, can read his into life this. Is basically fucking over yeah. too. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was that their performance was really good. The writing was really good. I think that in the end, the issue was they didn't know how to present Jesus, and so they just threw everything in there at the at the last minute, including a very Pauline reading of you know his blood cleanses the world. Um, but aside from that, it's like the film as a whole just it really succeeds. It it it's one of those epic films that kind of lives up to its reputation. It was the most expensive film ever made yeah, at the time. At the time, right? And it was shot most of it in Rome because they don't have most, sound stages. Most expensive movies ever made. Mm-hmm look like the most expensive movie ever made. Like, very rarely do you hear that and go, well, but where did the money right. go? Like, Titanic looks fucking expensive, and Avatar looks fucking expensive. Like, they look expensive. And I <laughs> James think that, Cameron just spending more money every time. I think that the chariot race really is just about the most thrilling 10 minutes or whatever of film. Or, yeah, you know, however long it's it is. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. And it's just really fast. I remember, do believe those horses were hurt. I yes, apparently no horses were hurt during the making of the film. I don't know. Uh, Yakima Kanet's son, uh, I heard read uh, this morning that Charlton Heston was saying, the scene where he goes over, there's a group of people That's who right. yeah. run up to pick up a body, mm-hmm. and he runs a chariot over the back of the stretcher and does like the a jump. The horses jump over it, right. and then the chariot goes up and over, and then he, in the chariot, Goes up and over the front of the right. chariot, and I'm just like, well. And apparently, when this happened, everyone's heart was in their mouth. Yakama had told his son, "Hey, look, I don't know how this is going to go, so I'm going to give you a chain that you put underneath the, the outfit that's going to attach you to the front of the chariot, and that pretty much is what saved his life from going underneath the horse's legs." Oh, yeah. Because he's just like, "No, I can hold on." I and can then hold he on. dragged himself back into the chariot, and then they right. used that take. They use that take, and here's the funny thing. So William Wyler saw it, and then turns to Charles Mason and says, we've got to get you to do that, too. And he's like, wait, what? Mom, no. And he had to do a version of it, where he's climbing from the horse, only all in close-ups. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, there was less a, a chance of him being dragged by the actual horses when they were in, in, in close-up. But that whole scene is amazing. The battle at sea was like it really does have moments of spectacle, and it does live up to the sort of the 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 hype in a lot of ways for a film. Yeah, no, it was it was incredible. It was like I said, I really really enjoyed it. I don't ever need to watch it again. So long, it's so long. Well, remember this was done when we were trying to attract people away from their television sets. And they were not going to get nearly this kind of stuff on TV. It was just far too big and far too loud and far too bombastic. And yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I don't, yeah. 
It, but it was it's very good. All right. Next week, mm-hmm. we're watching Dialing for Murder. It's a Hitchcock, you guys. Full spoiler alert, full or full disclosure, we've already watched it, and it was super good. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, check it out. I had never watched it before. It's got Grace Kelly in it. Grace Kelly. She's so beautiful. Yes, I like Grace Kelly. Um, And there's murder. Or is there? Oh, there definitely is. <laughs> so, uh, and there is Cunning Man. And equally, not cunning, but smart other man. Yes, and you can see, you can see, um, as I was thinking about the film in this detective that winds up becoming meshed in it, you see everyone from Colombo to Benoit Blanc. You see that kind of guy who's very smart but doesn't give away how smart he is. Um, until, of course, in the very end, whether he solves it or not, we'll discuss, though. Right. Yeah, no, so we're going to watch that for next week. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend? I don't have something that I've finished that I would like to recommend. Yeah. We've started some things. So far, so good on Poker Face, uh-huh. on the Peacock Network, right, and the Midnight Club on Netflix, which is a Flanagan joint, part of the Flaniverse, if you're on the same kind of Netflix algorithm I'm on, you'll get commercials for the Flaniverse because they gave him a bunch of money. I think it's weird, though, because after the next one, he did the Midnight Club mm-hmm. and he's doing that Follow the House of Usher. His, his uh, deal with Netflix is done and he's going to Amazon Prime. Oh, wow. So uh, I thought it was weird that now they're doing Flaniverse stuff, but they've got a whole other show coming out. So, right. And this was actually supposed to be not like his miniseries. It was supposed to be um, multiple seasons, but Netflix canceled it because that's what Netflix does. We haven't finished it, but it's good so far. Yeah, it's it's really... um, And it's... uh, I'll recommend this other thing that I haven't finished seeing either. Oh, another one. Um, I would highly recommend that film, The Midnight Club, or that series. Also, um, Maniac, Junji Ito, The Tales of Japanese Macabre. Oh. Now, but they both suffer from the same problem, which is there are times in both of these programs where you want to tap out. In the case of The Midnight Club, you are watching a group of kids who are not fully grown. They're they're, they're all teenagers. All teenagers. Who suffer from terminal terminal diseases. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so they're dealing with death, they're dealing with their own mortality, and they're sometimes grasping at straws of ways to cure themselves. They're dealing with the actual dead, maybe. Um, And they're dealing with stories uh, that'll help about ghosts. They make ghosts, is what they do in this club. They get together at midnight, have a drink, and tell each other ghost stories. So the problem is that between those ghost stories, which are all very well written, and where the same actors play different parts, which must be fun for them, um, there is a lot of watching these people die 
and it's done convincingly. You yeah. feel really bad for them. Yeah. You form relationships with them, and then they they're gone, and you're like, "Holy cow! I didn't want to have to deal with that." Um, and also with uh, Maniac, the animated series, there are stories that don't translate very well. I think mm-hmm. where you're looking at it, going, "What was that about?" At the oh, because the it's like a cultural yeah. And then her long hair killed everyone. You're like, her long hair. Um, but so that one was weird. But then there'll be a story, uh, the story about the balloons. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Which is one of the more horrifying things I've ever seen. It's funny because you were telling me that you watched this thing. And then I was like, oh, is that the horror, the, uh-huh. the Japanese tales of the macabre? Is that what right. it's called? Um, and I looked, I had seen screenshots of it. I was like, oh. I was like, is it anything like Jinji Ito's stuff? And right. you're like, yeah, he, he's the one who did all of it. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not watching that. Right, exactly. <laughs> because here's what I know. Mm-hmm. He is unbelievably talented. And also, you can't unsee his work. No. And when I am warned with that, I just think, oh, then I shouldn't see it in the and first place. <laughs> there was, a, uh, there was a, a podcast, and I really wish I, I remembered the name of it, that it was, did classic ghost stories, and they, they um, the... The host goes through modern ghost story writers with you, right? Modern horror writers, mm-hmm. and he went. He did a, a segment on Junji Ito, and he described the balloon story. I'm going, how exactly does that work? And then I saw this version, and I thought, oh my god, that's horrifying! It's strange how something yeah. that abstract and it, can affect you. But you have to keep it. Yeah, you have to. And and he right. works very well in that because he is a graphic artist. He's not. He's very much like the dude that does Invader Zim, um, whose name starts with a J, and I can't remember what it is. Um, where um, it's the art mm-hmm. and the story together. Like right. he's he is he's not writing a comic book and somebody else is drawing it or uh, just illustrating somebody else's ideas. Oh, no, this he is, is just coming up with these ideas and then illustrating vision. them and yeah. then putting that, you know, moving in the, in the, in the show. Um, but it allows for, I think that's where you get sort of some of the strongest illustrative work yeah. when it comes directly out of this person's brain. The same reason that Clive Barker's paintings are so fucking visceral. Right. You're just like, oh yeah, no, this is just coming from Well, you. I think that <laughs> Netflix has done something interesting in allowing Flanagan, Flanagan, uh, Flanagan and Del Toro yeah. to work with them because here's another guy who's just like, it's from somewhere in his soul. <laughs> you know, something that he can't exercise, and now you're a part of it, and you're going like, yeah, where the hell did this come from? Yeah. Yeah, um, and that was the, the reason. I knew that he was moving to Amazon, and I knew there was a project mm. that he and his um, partner, Trevor Macy, who he's produced all of mm. the Netflix stuff with, um, they're doing a Dark Tower series. Wow. Uh, and I'm I've heard that p- different people are doing different Dark Tower series, different Dark Tower stuff. Uh, this is the most positive that I've felt about it because Flanagan is a Stephen King fan. Is a huge Stephen King fan. Um, yeah, he's like he clearly knows the work, and we see how 
interestingly, he can adapt. Right. And I don't know if it's going to be a strict Dark Tower 1, 2, 3, 4, and he's going to do the series like that, or if he's going to do something more in the in a Kingiverse way, the way that he did the Bly mm-hmm. Manor stuff and how he appears to be doing the House the of Usher stuff. Yeah. Which I'm really looking forward and to. And Midnight Mass was very... It had King right. throughout it, really. Um, but it wasn't an actual King adaptation. But Dr. Sleep is my favorite Stephen King adaptation. And he did that. Gerald's Game is a fantastic adaptation of a thing I did not think you could put a film. I did not think that was filmable. And he did a great job. So, yeah, it's it's exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to The Fall of the House of Usher Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But one of them is that Carl Lumley is playing Auguste Dupin, the world's very first consulting detective. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's going to be a lot of fun, I think. I have a hiccups. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that brings us to the end. Thank you for sticking in with us for this lengthy episode. Not too much longer than last week's episode, actually. So there's that. So <laughs> um, much less complete. If you have questions. No, I like last week's movie. What was last week's movie? Marathon Man. Oh, yes, it was. It was the week before, I think. <laughs> Yes. No, the week before I was unhappy. We were all judging everything by, is this going to be more or less thrilling than Raging Bull? Oh my God, Raging Bull. Why are you, you're not even even a little bit thrilling. Eh, This is thrilling now. Um, If you have questions or comments or concerns, you can uh, email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. I would like to remind you, please, please, please take the medicine. And we would like to remind you, Better Better late late than than never. never.